Welcome to your number one source of information on women's pelvic health. On this podcast, you will hear from medical experts, pelvic health professionals, holistic healers, and patients themselves in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about regaining and maintaining your pelvic health and becoming your own best advocate for your pelvic floor, the most vital part of our bodies as women. All of the conversations are intimate, raw, and unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. Welcome back to the Women's Pelvic Health Podcast. Today, I am here with a wonderful friend and an amazing doctor, Dr. Sonia Bolani. This is her second time on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Can you quickly introduce yourself for those who don't know you? Yes. My name is Dr. Sonia Bolani. I'm a pelvic pain specialist based out of New York City. Um, I did my residency training at New York Presbyterian Cornell here in New York, and then did my fellowship over at Northwell in the Department of Urology. So Dr. Bolani presented a very interesting topic to me, and when, when she was explaining what she sees in her practice, I immediately could relate and understand and have talked to many other women who have these these issues that she was talking about and and what this was was the connection between pelvic floor conditions and other comorbidities including autoimmune conditions tmj and musculoskeletal issues so we today are going to talk about why do people who have pelvic pain almost always have more than one condition pelvic pain and something else um, so Dr. Bolani is going to explain this to us. It's a big topic. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, <laughs> but too. But it's a really interesting topic. And, you know, I mean, we could hone it down even to just beginning in patients who have pelvic pain and more often than not don't just have one diagnosis, right? So uh, most of the time we don't see someone come in with just interstitial cystitis or just vulvodynia or just pelvic floor dysfunction. They often have more than one diagnosis, and that is more common in the pelvic pain world. Most patients are aware of that. They understand that concept. But today what we're also discussing is what about those patients that have these diagnoses, diagnoses, sorry, and then also have things like rheumatoid arthritis or fibromyalgia or TMJ issues. And so oftentimes it's easy to just kind of get involved in like a problem-based approach. So saying that you just have this wrong with your pelvis, but what about looking at the entire patient and seeing how it's all related? And that's why I thought it was just so important because, like you said, you can relate. And I think a lot of people out there can probably relate. And it can probably also drive home the point that it's not just in their heads that they have all this stuff going on. Definitely. And, you know, I can speak for myself, of course, but in my personal experience with pelvic pain, I simultaneously had chronic body muscle aches everywhere i went to a rheumatologist chronic fatigue i went to a functional medicine doctor so in addition to the pelvic pain i also was ruling out other issues simultaneously and it's never something that like my OBGYN never really discussed this with me or one do- any doctor doesn't and i love my OBGYN, but it's hard to understand the connection between all of these things. And then when you start to feel better, when I've started to feel better, I have felt that like my, my body aches are better and my energy isn't as low. And 
So it's fascinating, like, what is going on right. systemically throughout right. your body. Exactly. And I think as physicians, we don't necessarily have the right answers for that in, in this day and age. I think we have a lot of different prop, uh, things in our brain. We have a lot of different thought processes. So we can say some of it is inflammation. Some of it is neuropathic upregulation. Some of it is musculoskeletal. But, you know, we definitely will find that some patients who like you said, maybe have pelvic floor dysfunction, have IC, and say to themselves, wait a minute, I've been noticing my joints hurt a lot more lately, or I've right. been noticing that my sim I have a lot of migraines. There, There is always something bigger than kind of that smaller, not the small, the more localized issue that we're looking at. Um, one interesting one, and one the reason that we recently published on this that I thought it was really cool, was the association between TMJ and pelvic floor dysfunction. And it was one of those things that I, when I did the study on it, every patient that walked in, I would say to them, have you ever noticed that you clench your jaw? 90% of the time, they would say, yes, I do notice that I clench my jaw. And do you ever notice that when you're stressed out, your pelvic pain symptoms get worse? Yes. Well, why? It's not because it's in your head, right? What are you doing when you're stressed out? You're clenching your pelvic floor muscles. It's a mechanism. So oftentimes it's all related. And so if you had to explain why do all of these conditions happen simultaneously in the body? It's a tough answer. I don't and think I'm, I'm sure it's different for everyone. It's, I think it's different for mm -hmm. everyone. And I think we don't really know. I think like that is really the basis. Finding the root cause of all of this is really where I want to drive my clinical practice. It's the reason that I think functional medicine is so important, understanding the whole the way the biochemistry of the body is reacting with each other the way we're all the organs are reacting with each other and and it's a problem because right now traditional medicine doesn't focus on that right traditional medicine focuses on a problem-based issue however what i will say is that i think a lot of it has to do with three different processes one is inflammation in general. When your body's inflamed, you can have like a neuro neuronal upregulation, which means the nerves fire more frequently. When the nerves fire more frequently, you can have things like pain in your jaw, you can clench more, causes musculoskeletal issues, mm. and then you have the same thing going on in your pelvic floor. So um, I think that it's a layered process, it's a complicated process, but oftentimes taking a step back and trying to figure out kind of where it's stemming from, when did this start? Asking yourself questions like that. When, when did this start? Did I notice something that, that caused it or was it more of like a slow process? Can help us delve deeper. So then how do you treat, I know you obviously specialize in, in pelvic pain and and uh, urological conditions, but if someone, if you have a patient who comes to you with these comorbidities, what direction do you take in terms of treatment? Like how you obviously specialize in treating the pelvic pain, but where do the other autoimmune conditions and TMJ, as you just explained, where do all of these other conditions come into play? Multidisciplinary care for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, you cannot treat the whole patient with just what it would be great if there was a one stop shop, but to be honest, I don't think that that exists. So I think having a great rheumatologist on board, a great neurologist on board, and there are TMJ specialists. But what's interesting is that for patients who have TMJ issues, the same medications that we use to treat their right. TMJ is actually what we use to often pelvic treat bladder pain, pain and yeah. pelvic pain. And so, you know, I think that if anything, that just hones the point down that 
there is a relationship between the two and that we have to always be cognizant of that bigger inner interlacing of all of these things in the body in order to treat patients more effectively Mm -hmm. and something that I just thought of that I want to share well to piggyback on to what you said but a lot of these conditions probably do have to do with some sort of upregulation of the nervous system and I feel feel like something that anyone could do is learn how to meditate and like I know I feel like people talk about meditation so much and and it's it's really you know people might be oh meditation like all right that's not going to solve my pain and no meditation alone probably won't solve all of your problems but as I was telling you before we started um this woman did Reiki on me over the weekend and mm-hmm. she said that your breath is the most important tool you have in, in your body. And she told me, she said, I don't breathe. And she put, she put my, or I breathe, but I don't breathe well. And she put my hand on her back and she took a breath and I could feel her whole back expand with her breath. And then she took my hand and put it on my back and my back did, did not move at all. And she was like, look, you're not getting, air is not going into your back. It's not yep. going, therefore it's not going into your pelvis. It's not go, you're not, you're not breathing properly. And she gave me this book that, that I posted a picture of it on Instagram. I'm going to tell you the name right now. Um, I mean, first of all, absolutely. I'm totally like, I'm nodding my head. No one can see me, but I'm I'm sitting here nodding my head because it's so true. It was fascinating. And and the physical therapists can tell you this too, this whole concept of diaphragmatic breathing, not, you know, not actually taking in a deep breath, not expanding those intercostal muscles is actually can relate to mm-hmm. pelvic floor dysfunction for mm-hmm. sure. So I love that that she brought that up with you. It was so interesting. And so this book she gave me is called Change Your Mind, Heal Your Body. When mes- when Western medicine has no cure, the answer lies within. And look, I, I believe in Western medicine completely. Western medicine is amazing, but it just it's the point that it's not like the be all end all, and that. In the book, this woman talks a lot about meditation, and so she tell she talks how she go walks you through how to meditate. And so yesterday morning, I just sat outside for ten minutes, and I put my alarm on my phone for ten minutes, and I just sat there and I breathed. She says to breathe in and then to exhale double the amount of time you inhale, and I did it for ten minutes. And no, it didn't t- like, it it didn't make me feel like perfect, right. but I felt calm. And if you do that, and then I thought after, I'm like, if I could do this every single day, like. After a month, I bet you my nervous system will calm down. I mean, it's so important. I mean, Mm -hmm. yes. So I think that there's so many different levels on which this is important. Number one, the breathing, which you hit on, which is so important. Mm -hmm. Number two, this whole concept of, I mean, I'm an allopathic physician. Sure, I'm a Western, that's what I practiced in. But truthfully, traditional medicine lacks a lot of answers, Mm -hmm. especially in the world of pelvic pain. And if I think modern medicine, the only way to move forward in terms of our field is to actually incorporate a mix of Western and Eastern medicine. And so things like Reiki, acupuncture, meditation, yoga, there's reasons that all these things can help. I mean, like you said, they're not the end all be all. I'm not saying that if you meditate, your pelvic pain will go away. That's that's not the message. But when you use medication, when you use physical therapy, when you use meditation, when you use yoga, when you use all of these things together in the right way, you're going to see a world of a difference. A hundred percent. And you know, just because I do want to kind of go into a little bit of the science of it, if you think about what happens 
when you clench your pelvic floor muscles. Let's just talk about it for a second because I have a lot of patients who walk into my office who are convinced they have interstitial cystitis, right? And they say to me, I go to the bathroom frequently, I feel like I don't completely empty, and I have pain. And I say to them, okay, so let's talk about like what happens. And they'll say, um, you know, I noticed I had a really big stressor and I go, and now what happens is that my bladder contracts and my pelvic floor doesn't relax and I don't completely empty. And that in and of itself, if you think about it, is basically TMJ of the pelvic floor, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're not down-regulating the muscles of the pelvic floor, if you're not down-regulating the nerves of the pelvic floor, you're gonna pee frequently, you're gonna have small little bits of urine coming out, you're gonna feel like you're not completely emptying, you're gonna have pain with sex. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not understanding that correlation between the two, between that mind-body connection, I think it's hard to get 100% better. And oftentimes with stressors, you know, you can take medications, but if you're not meditating, if you're not doing those types of things to understand where the real, the root cause of that is coming from, I think that that's why patients cycle. That's why they can get better for periods of time and then bam, they're right back to it. And so my goal as a physician or any any physician's goal is to give you the tools to treat yourself so that you say, Dr. Blani, you know what? I don't actually think I need to come back to you. I was feeling a little bit of, of my symptoms coming back. I decided to do some stretching, do some yoga. I took a little bit of my medication and I'm all better now. Mm. You know what I mean? And so I think that's in terms of our goal as a phys- as physicians, that preventative approach is really what's going to be the the changing ground for everything it's so interesting you say that because and it's so true but like throughout the let's i've been i've had you know these pelvic pain related issues for probably three four years and i said to my friend's mom on on i think it was saturday i was like you know western medicine has gotten me to like 90 percent better and it's not that i don't never believed in yoga or never believed in meditation or believed in eastern medicine or reiki i believe in it but i kind of had an epiphany where maybe i didn't really believe in it as much as i should have because i was like well i'm taking these medicines and i'm doing physical therapy and i explained to her i'm like excuse my language but western medicine is fucking amazing like I, you know this i've gotten so much better from doing all of these treatments and physical therapy and Botox and, and uh, taking some Bolta and doing all of these things. And I feel so good. But she said to me for like the first time, she was like, but you know what, Hannah? She's like, maybe Western medicine isn't going to get you to 100%. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't saying, she wasn't putting down Western medicine. She no. was just saying, maybe you have to tap a little bit more into like your mind and your body and like the spiritual aspect of and not to make this a whole like spirituality episode because that's what we're, that's not the, the point but like there was a lot of value in that and saying that like maybe I have to connect more with myself and it all starts from within exactly and, and you know and I mean we can go through this and I agree when mm. when someone comes into my office you know we're doing Valium suppositories right. Botox all this stuff and I say to them, it's almost like getting you from a 10 to a 3 mm-hmm. is the easy part. Right. You know what I mean? That's, that's, exactly. that's what I was about to say. Uh, I've been stuck at like a 90%. And 90% is great, but we want to be 100. And then getting you from that 3 to the 0, that's really where we have to start thinking mm-hmm. outside the box. Yeah. And that means incorporating non-traditional approaches. Right. And it's, it, it is a lot of, I think... 
people just kind of put it in the back burner as this new agey kind of thing. And the one thing that I do want to throw out there is if you think about, as a physician, I do things like trigger point injections mm -hmm. or Botox for patients who have pelvic floor dysfunction, right? What's the basis of trigger point injections? Even if you think back in terms of the data, it comes from acupuncture data. Right. So if you look at the data, dry needling so and acupuncture mm -hmm. is just as effective as trigger point injections. So why do we do trigger point injections? Why do we use lidocaine or mercaine or Botox? Because we're doctors. Because right. <laughs> things like lidocaine, we do believe have anti-inflammatory properties to them because Botox works great to help to relax the muscles down there. But if you think about that, science, evidence-based approach to it and see how it links back to non-traditional medicine. I'm putting little air quotes for anybody <laughs> who mm -hmm. wants to know. It actually kind of, I think it helps to set the stage. You see what I'm saying? There is, yeah. there is a reason that even we've come this far in terms of treating pelvic pain allopathically. We would have never gotten here had we not kind of had to think outside the box for the patients who were suffering years and years and years ago. So interesting. Can you give us a, I don't know, can you give us a specific example of a patient that has come to you, come to your office with, with pelvic pain and, and uh, other, uh, other conditions and like what, what, what this patient's story looked like and their treatment looked like? So I'm not going to give you an actual patient because, uh -huh. you know, HIPAA, right. <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm going to give you a patient that exist that I know that mm -hmm. that we can all see time and time again because okay. it's just so you know just so relevant to society and I'm going to give you two separate patients because I think it's really interesting to look at this so you can have your 25 year old female who comes into the office and notices that more recently she's had a lot of burning, a lot of burning when she pees. She's had a, a lot of recurrent BV, a lot of recurrent yeast, um, and a lot of pain with sex. And she notices every time she has pain with sex, she goes to the bathroom really frequently, and she never understands why. Um, and she notices now more that she just pees a lot. She wakes up a lot at night to pee. In addition, these migraines have gotten worse and worse and worse. She's been having some pain radiating up to her head, and she's been unable to sleep at night because she just notices a lot of soreness, a lot of exhaustion. Nothing's working. Um, and you think about that for a second. I mean, that can be anybody. That can be me. That could be you. That could be anybody walking on the streets right now because that person who's suffering, has obviously pelvic floor issues, could have vaginal issues, could have IC, but then also has these systemic complaints, things like migraines, TMJ, rheumatoid arthritis, or um, autoimmune diseases. Just, I mean, there's so many things that could be going on, fibromyalgia, but where do we start? And, and, and what do you treat first? And how do you know where to go? And what happens is that this typical patient gets shipped around from doctor to doctor to doctor, and everybody shrugs their shoulders and says, it's not me because you have all of this other stuff going on. And that's what I wanna point out to you, is that we shouldn't be doing that. We should be saying, wait a minute, that makes sense. You have all of this stuff going on. It, it, you know, and not saying that there's one medication that's gonna treat it all, but that more patients than not will have all of these things going on as opposed to just a single diagnosis. Mm -hmm. That's our younger patient, right? Right. We can have 
an older patient, a 65-year-old postmenopausal female who, you know, every time is unable to have sex anymore because is just feeling so much dryness in the vagina. You know what? It's caused her, or she notices at the same time, she feels depressed. She feels unhappy. She no longer wants to have sex. So wait a minute. What came first, the chicken or the egg? And that's and that's what we have to try to get at. Do you know what I mean? Is it is it that that is related to each other or is it that there's two separate things going on but more often than not there's going to be more than one thing going on so do you find that once you treat the pelvic pain conditions that the other related conditions decrease in pain level or at times yes i think i think in terms of a good physician is someone who, number one, tries to get at the biggest pain generator first, the most bang for our buck, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. So what is gonna really get you feeling better so that we can peel the other layers of the onion so we can figure out what is it that is causing this other stuff to go on. Do I have some patients who undergo treatment for lupus or RA and come back and say my bladder pain is better or I feel like a difference? Sure, yeah, for sure. And I think that that in and of itself is indicative of the fact that this stuff is related. Um, because if you're receiving treatment for something and you notice that your other types of pains are feeling a little bit better, then wait a minute, we have to try to figure out where what's going to make you better faster you know what mm -hmm. i mean it's a long-winded way of saying that no no that makes sense though can you also talk about what are some of the most effective treatments that you use for these conditions well pelvic pain and then other other comorbidities as well sure i mean it depends on the cause of pelvic pain mm -hmm. so i would say that more patients than not have don't just so I see a lot of I see a lot of interstitial cystitis more patients than not actually have a combination of interstitial cystitis and pelvic floor dysfunction plus minus vulvodynia and I would say that more often than not the thing that's treated the least is their pelvic floor it almost gets ignored do you mm -hmm. know what I mean um things that are helpful for pelvic floor dysfunction I mean for sure I think physical therapy hands down if you look at the data and you look at, at kind of how to treat pelvic floor dysfunction, I think working in conjunction with things like Valium suppositories or oral muscle relaxants can oftentimes be helpful. Things like heat, yoga, um, things to stretch, lengthen that muscle rather than shorten it. Um, things like trigger point injections, Botox, dry needling, acupuncture, I mean, all effective treatments. It just depends on the particular patient of what's gonna work. Um, in addition, for patients with interstitial cystitis, it obviously depends on a few factors. You know, patients who have Hunter's lesions or non-Hunter's lesions patients. Um, you know, oral medications, things like amitriptyline, gabapentin, oftentimes helpful, Almiron. Um, and then, of course, we have things like intravesical installations, things like um, fulgurating, or um, I should say burning Hunter's lesions for patients who have Hunter's lesions, things like intersim. I mean, the, and, and I almost say and rattle this stuff off just to show you how big our armamentarium is. Do you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you almost find patients come in and they say, there's only one thing or what will make me better. But wait a minute, we have all of these tools. It's just a matter of how you use them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really what can get people a lot better. Even I have to remind myself sometimes 
when I feel like, oh, I've done every single thing. Why are why am I like 100% better? But then I have to tell myself, no, there's so many things I haven't done. And you got to also think it's the order in which you do them right. too. Yeah. So if you treat someone's interstitial cystitis with intravesical installations and you're not addressing their pelvic floor, they're going to keep going to the bathroom frequently. They're never going to, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like they're never going to see that relief. And so you're oftentimes not going to get the effective treatment outcomes that you want. So, you know, I say this a lot. I say this in a lot of my interviews, but I believe it to be very true. It's like me having a tennis racket and Roger Federer having a tennis racket. It's all how you play the game. We all have the same tools as clinicians. It's just how you use them. So one doctor is it's, it's going to use things one way and another one's going to use it another way. But it's that right coming up with the right formula that really gets patients to kind of get that relief and that makes so so much sense yeah what would be one piece of advice that you can give for anyone listening who has pelvic pain but also has other forms of chronic pain or an autoimmune condition and they don't know how to navigate all of it because that's like it's, it's overwhelming enough to have pelvic pain yeah right so then you yeah. have something else going on or multiple other things going on and it's like oh my god where do I begin how do I navigate this what do I do what what advice do you have I would say number one keep searching I think that that there are great physicians physical therapists just great providers out there who are able to kind of um understand this concept even though it might feel like that's not true because a lot of times I think patients feel ping-ponged between doctors and all these different clinicians but understanding that there are people out there that understand this relationship that value this relationship and that it's all about starting somewhere because if if we don't start anywhere it's almost like we don't have a trajectory to go on you know we don't know what's going to make you better because we haven't tried anything because and so oftentimes people want a single pill to cure it all. And that's more likely than not, not going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so understanding that the body is complex, that it's layered, that, that we can offer you treatments, but it's oftentimes starting somewhere. And perhaps that first treatment doesn't do what you want it to do. That's okay. It still gives us a, pa a basis upon which to grow. And I think a lot of patients understanding that can help them through this process because it can become frustrating it can become debilitating and it can become hopeless you know and i think understanding that we understand that we get it and but there's just different things we have to do to almost get you to where you need to be mm -hmm. thank you thank you is there any anything else that you want to share any resources you know, I think that there are a lot of, I mean, I think your podcast is a great resource for anybody who's suffering. Um, there's a lot of great books out there. I think you hit, you hit on them in your Instagram for sure. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of great blogs out there. There's yeah. one on my site too. I mm -hmm. think there's one on, on your site as well, or, uh, to, soon to be, soon to be. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but I think just seeking out this community is helpful for a lot of people. So that's great. Where can people contact you? So I am in my private practice now in New York City. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And my phone number is 212-634-9533. And uh, you can also visit me on www.pelvicpaindoc.com. Wonderful.
Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being here and for sharing your knowledge and for proposing this topic that I can't believe we haven't talked about before on the podcast. So I, I loved really how you added in the, the non-Western stuff. I mean, Thank I think people, we have to yeah. talk about it. Yeah. There has to be a discussion. Yeah. And even even someone like me who believes it, you know, it's like how much do you how much do you practice it? Right. You know, and I don't know. It takes time. And I think it takes getting to a place where you're like, OK, if I really want to get 100 percent better, I have to like really think about every single thing. And exactly mm-hmm. seeing it in someone who's being so open and candid about their own story, mm-hmm. I think is just a true testament to the fact that we have to account for these discrepancies in care. And that is oftentimes through non-traditional medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone listening, for tuning in. Please share your thoughts, comments, and questions about this episode or any other episode at info at the women's pelvic health podcast.com. I would love to hear from you. And as always, please rate and review the podcast in the iTunes store. I wish all of you health, healing, and happiness.